This is the 2448 Podcast. What's up everybody? I'm Matt Broom, your friendly firefighting financial planner, and this is the 2448 Podcast. This show focuses on improving your finances, your side hustles, and moving the fire service forward through honest discussion. Let's get going. Welcome to the 2448 podcast. It is Paycheck Friday, so we are making ends meet. And I've been going through a, a series on my on my website, my financial planning website, FordFocusFP.com, that is evaluating the laws of combat, which is from Jocko Willink and Leif Babin's bestseller, Extreme Ownership. And the laws of combat are basically four simple rules that U.S. Navy SEALs use to lead and win on the battlefield. And one of them is simple, meaning keep your plans simple in a complex environment because, you know, that's what the battlefield is. And that's what life is. Life is extremely complex. So it's important to keep your money simple. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today, how... I keep my money simple. So basically, my money management system, Elena and I's money management system that we use to basically use our money as a tool to provide the life that we want without really having to think about it too much. And, you know, I was thinking, well, how do you make a tool or a piece of equipment firefighter proof? You make it simple, effective, and durable. This same principle applies to how you manage your money. I always like to re- remind myself to keep it simple, stupid. And you probably should too. Because money doesn't have to be complicated. Actually, the simpler, the better. Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci says, Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And that couldn't be truer for how you manage your money. When I started in the fire service, I was making about $35,000 a year. I was fresh out of college and I was newly engaged. Now at the time, $35,000 was nothing to sneeze at, but I knew I needed a system. I wanted to get out of debt. I wanted to start investing. I really just wanted to be a good steward of my money. So that's what we're going to talk about, how I found a system that once married, my wife and I integrated together to turn it into our personal money management system that we use to pay off $25,000 in debt, pay cash for Elena's RN degree, buy a home, invest consistently, and like I said, most importantly, just not really worry about money. And I'll let you take a guess where it all starts. It starts with budgeting. Now, I know somebody's eyes right now are glazing over because they've heard me say the B word too many times on here. And that's okay. I'm going to keep beating that horse as long as I've got hot air in my lungs. So, yes, we started with budgeting. But how do Elaine and I budget? Well, we budget on a bi-weekly basis. We both get paid bi-weekly or every two weeks. So we budget in two-week increments. 
we actually we tried monthly and we started doing monthly originally and we just found bi-weekly to be more functional uh, every two weeks was a good time for us to kind of you know hit pause and check in on our money and do a budget and reevaluate you know the directions that we were heading in on different things and it, it just worked well for us and we've stuck with it and uh, that's the thing about budgeting is you can do it bi-weekly, monthly, whatever. The, the important thing is that you find something that works for you and that you actually do it. And then you follow through on that budget. So what kind of budget do we use? Well, we use we utilize a zero-based budget spreadsheet that I created. It's super simple. It's nothing crazy. It's a spreadsheet that it took about 30 minutes to put together. Like uh, the first weekend we were married and we've used it ever since. Now I've tweaked it a little bit, but... The, the framework of it has not changed. And the framework of a budget is very simple. You just start with your income, you subtract your expenses, and when you're doing a zero-based budget, the uh, remainder should be zero. That means you've given every dollar a job. And in the process, you prioritized your goals. Because creating that budget and then actually following it is the quickest way to gain traction on your financial goals. Now, when we got married, one of the first things that we did was we went to the bank and we joined bank accounts. Some folks may disagree with me on this, and that's fine, but Elaine and I are both adamant believers that once you are married, you are one entity. There is no more yours and mine. It's ours. And that goes for money too. It doesn't matter who earned it. It's going into one account. That is our account. It is now our money that we're going to manage for our household. So we have two shared bank accounts. We have one checking and one savings. And that's it. Both of our paychecks get direct uh, direct deposit into our checking account. Within that account, we maintain a $400 buffer uh, which is a part of our emergency fund, but that's basically zero. $400 is zero. That keeps us from ever coming close to overdrafting. So when we go to do our budget, we log in, we look at our balance, we subtract the $400, and the remainder is what we have to budget. Within our savings account, that's, we just maintain our six-month emergency fund there, and this is not a you know some high yield online savings account no it's just your average run-of-the-mill savings account that you know you have at the bank we bank with bank of america extremely simple within that account we have our emergency fund we also save for other large purchases vacations whatever and so when we log in and see that you know it's just one number in the savings account but within that budget spreadsheet i have a, a extra worksheet that you know says savings account on it and I break out our savings on that spreadsheet so we know what it is. So, you know, if we have, you know, $15,000 in an emergency fund, but there's $20,000 in the account, well, right now, for example, we have our emergency fund and uh, we have the human fund, which is our baby fund, which uh, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you get that. And then we have our vacation fund. So, you know, if we have $20,000 in there, 15 is emergency 2500 is human fund, 2500 is vacation fund, and I maintain that. And those are just made up numbers, but I maintain that within that worksheet. So I know what that, you know, when we log into our bank account, we see that number. I can go to the spreadsheet and see how the breakdown is. So I know how much is dedicated to what. And the total of those three sub accounts just equals our total savings account. 
So if you don't agree with me on how to you know manage money within the marriage, because I, I am very adamant that once you get married, it's it's one. You may not agree with me on how I feel about debt either. Because debt is normal. But you don't get abnormal results like building wealth. Not many people end up wealthy. That's why it's abnormal. You don't get abnormal results with normal actions. And like I said, debt is normal. Our only debt is our home. But that wasn't always the case. When we got married, we were typical young couple. We had student loans, credit cards. We were just like everyone else. But we made the decision before saying I do that we were going to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And in that first year of marriage, we paid off two credit cards and four student loans, which totaled about $25,000. And I think on our tax return that year, we only made 50-something. So how how did we do that? We used our budget. We gave every dollar a job, and we utilized the debt snowball method. Going back to keeping it simple, the snowball method is super easy, and it works. All you do is you list your debts from smallest to largest. You pay the minimums on everything but the smallest debt, and you put every extra cent of cash flow you have towards that smallest debt until it's gone. And once it's gone, you celebrate because you paid off your first debt. That's badass. And then you roll that payment and every extra cent of cash flow you have into the next smallest. And you rinse and repeat until debt-free. And you'll be surprised at how motivated you'll get when you start that process and how quickly you can get out of debt. You'll look at this number on paper and you'll be like, oh, we're never going to get out from underneath this. Then you start taking action and it starts to happen and you get motivated and maybe you've worked some extra hours, you make some extra money and next thing you know in our situation it's a year later and we're debt free and other than our home we've maintained that which was great when Elena went back to school we were debt free, we had an emergency fund, we were saving for a down payment but it would have been easy to use student loans to pay for her tuition But like I said, we had made the decision, the conscious decision to avoid debt. So we saved and paid cash every semester. There is such thing as a student without a loan. You can save and pay as you go. It does take some discipline and trade-offs. But what's the alternative? Being undisciplined? Good luck with that. That's not the kind of person I want to be. So once we kind of laid this foundation, being debt-free, emergency fund, very foundational things of personal finance, we started investing. And like I said, we like to keep it simple. And that carried over within our investing habits. So after paying off our debt and building our emergency fund, we increased our retirement savings. Up to this point, we had only invested enough to get my employer's matching contribution. And I actually left it that way, and we opened Roth IRAs, and we began systematically investing into those accounts 
along with my employer-sponsored plans. And our goal was to invest 15% of our gross income. And we had reached that goal. We were doing that. Man, it was awesome. We felt really, really good about it. And it was at this point that Elena was thinking about going back to school. And I was 100% for her doing that. So we actually stopped investing in those Roth IRAs. And we began investing in her future earning power. We were investing in her education. And once she was able to graduate debt-free, we went right back to the 15% of investment. And we were investing 15% of a higher income. So that worked out well. But what were we investing in? And this is where, you know, firefighters think money gets complicated, but it doesn't have to be. We're investing our money into low-cost index funds. What's an index fund? An index fund basically just tries to mimic the market as a whole. Now, it depends on what market, what subset of the market it's trying to mimic, but take, for example, an S&P 500 index fund. It just tries to mimic the 500 largest companies in America. So, you know, everybody wants to own Google and Apple and Facebook and all this kind of stuff. Well, guess what? They are in the S&P 500 index. So if you own an S&P 500 index fund, you own shares of those companies. But you're not having to pay a human to constantly trade and try to beat the market. You're just getting the market. And you can focus on the things that are within your control, like how much you're saving. So I keep my investing very simple. I put 50% into an S&P 500 index fund. I put 25% into a small cap index fund. I put 15% into an international, total international index fund. And then 10% into an emerging markets index fund. All those have extremely low fees. It's not complicated. They just try to mimic the underlying indices. And that's it. And, you know, that's a 100% stock portfolio. So that's how I invest. That doesn't mean that's appropriate for you. But I'm just giving you an idea of how simple I keep it. It doesn't have to be complicated. Every two weeks, once our budget is finalized, we, you know, we decide how much money we need to put into our Roth IRAs. We transfer funds from our bank account. And we split them up between those four index funds. We're not constantly checking these things either. We just, we check in quarterly. We rebalance if we need to. And that's that. I'm not checking the markets. I'm not logging in to see if my account's gone up. I'm focused on the things that are important in my life. Not whether the market's feeling good or bad today. And if you don't know where to start with investing, and if you think, you know, picking some index funds is overwhelming... A target date fund can be an, an excellent, simple investment. It basically is a fund of funds. It invests in underlying funds, so it will have some of these index funds probably in it, but it does it all for you. It'll have a asset allocation, maybe 90% stocks, 10% bonds if you're around about my age. Then as you get closer and closer to retirement, it moves to uh, less risky, i.e. more conservative investments, as you get closer to your retirement age and you just own one investment 
and it owns underlying investments, so you own much more than that, but it's packaged into one. Now you will pay slightly more in uh, fees for that, but not a significant amount. And if you're focusing on what really matters, which is how much you're saving, you can certainly overcome the slightly higher percentage that you're going to pay in fees for the increased simplicity. And kind of the glue that holds all this, our whole system together is communication. Money and marriage is all about communication. And when do we communicate about our money? It's during our budget meeting. <laughs> Once again, it goes back to the budget. We, we use the budget as a sounding board for our goals, fears, hopes, dreams. We sit down and we talk about those things. Sometimes we argue, sometimes we bicker, sometimes we don't. Quite often we do. But the important thing is we're talking. We're talking about our financial goals. We talk about how to accomplish them. We talk about the obstacles that we're going to face. These talks help us to stay on the same page. We call that paging. That's a slang term in our household that I think Elena came up with that you know, we can tell when we're on the same page because we're paging. And we don't always agree on, on every detail about, you know, how we're going to spend our money or, or whatever. But just because we don't agree doesn't mean we don't come to an agreement. We always come to an agreement. And then we move forward. And it's within these budget meetings that, like I said, we discuss our goals. And during these meetings, we're talking about long-term goals. We're checking in on them, see how uh, how our saving plan's going. Um, you know, make sure we're we're hitting that fifteen percent goal, stuff like that. Because if you don't take aim at your long-term goals, you're not going to hit the target. And once you actually know where you want to go, you can map out the journey. It becomes much easier to figure out how to get there once you define where it is exactly you want to go. And goal setting doesn't have to be perfect. It's your best guess at your desired future. So don't get too anxious over it. Just define your goals, create a plan, and take action. As General Patton says, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan executed next week. So personally, some of our goals, we want to pay off our house early. Preferably by 35. That is our goal. Once we do that, we want to increase our investment to 30 to 40% of our income. We want to reach financial freedom. And we're going to do so through the power of compounding. And we can compound more of our investments if we invest more. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to raise our investment percentage to 30 to 40%. And also, we want to pay cash for a lake home by age 40. That's our goal, is to live on the lake. We both love the lake. I love fishing. Elena likes floating. That's where we want to be. And we don't want to be dragged down by a house payment for the rest of our life, so we want to pay off our house and be able to pay cash for a lake home by age 40. So I'm going to ask you, what are your goals? Now, some might say my goals are kind of lofty. Pay cash for a lake home by 40? What? And to them, I would say, you know what, when I was 25 years old or however old I was, 
paying off $25,000 of debt and saving up a six-month emergency fund and saving up a solid down payment for our home and paying cash for land school. Those are all lofty goals then. I mean, big goals are attainable. But you got to set them. You got to shoot for them. And success doesn't happen overnight. And even if it does, it can leave just as quickly as it came. Because truly, the most important test of all is time. Will you be able to retire? Will you always have to worry about money? Will you let those debts hang around forever? Time will tell. Time will test you. And if you want to accomplish your financial goals and build wealth, you don't need a complicated financial plan. You need simple and effective solutions that you can execute repeatedly. So please, and I'm talking to myself here just as much as I'm talking to anybody else, keep it simple, stupid. Thanks for listening to the 2448 podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share the show however and wherever you see fit. If you have any suggestions, questions, or if you're interested in coming on as a podcast guest, please go to the Facebook page. There's a Google form pinned at the top. Fill it out, and I look forward to hearing from y'all. I hope you enjoyed the music. They are some friends of mine that make up the band All the Locals, and they were generous enough to let me use their music for this show. So check them out. They flip and rock. But until next time, y'all stay safe. Cheers.